we're living on the other side of an apocalypse, mm. right? A cataclysmic catastrophe has happened yeah. and we are living on the other side of it. So how do you get back? Hey, hey, welcome to the Live Like It's True podcast, where we talk through some of the most astonishing stories in the Bible and how to live like those stories are true. I'm your host, Shannon Popkin, and my hope is that these conversations will inspire you to better know the story, share the story, and live the story. Have you ever wondered why everything in life is so hard? Why it all seems to be working against you? Like, why does the basement flood? Why does the attic have carpenter ants? Why does the computer crash and the electric bill spike? Could it be that you, as a human, are experiencing the effects of a cosmic war? This story in Genesis 3 is explaining why things are the way they are, why things seem to be working against us, why everything is bent and broken and dying. God is giving us the answers as he speaks to Adam about the consequences for sin. Joining me today is Dr. Michael Whitmer. Mike is the author of several books, including Becoming Worldly Saints, Anticipating Heaven, and The Bible Explainer. He is a pastor and a seminary professor at the Grand Rapids Theological Seminary here in Grand Rapids, where I live, and he and Julie, his wife, are my friends. So it's a huge honor to have him with us here today, and I hope that you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Mike Whitmer, it's great to have you with us today. Hi, Shannon. Good to see you again. Thanks so much. So, I mean, we go back a long ways, you know, we were youth leaders together. I think we we were ninth grader youth leaders back in the day. <laughs> yeah, 90s, sometime in the 90s. In the 90s, yes. So I was just at a conference last week uh, here in Grand Rapids and, you know, we were leaving early, we were getting home late. I had house guests and just a super busy time. And the next day I walked out in the yard and there was a weed about a foot tall (laughs) next to the driveway and my flowers on the other hand were all dying. So I was like, man, you know, how, how is it that the weeds all seem to grow no matter what we do and the flowers all seem to die? I'm sure your yard is perfect though, right? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I'm a man, so I don't even see those things. Oh, you don't see those things? I, I give one of my sons some clover killer and say, go out and get it. There you go. <laughs> got to do another round. Yes. So our story that we're looking at in this series, the true story of the beginning is some explanation for, you know, weeds flourishing and flowers dying. Um, and, and basically, you know, why is the world so backward? Not just with flowers and weeds, like why in most of the ways that we toil, like why is it that the bad stuff grows and the good stuff dies? And we're not given, I think it's so interesting, Mike, that we're not given like a discourse to explain all of this to us, like outlining the terms and the consequences between us and God, like we're given a narrative. I I, I find that so intriguing. Uh, And so the story is that the man is placed in the garden to work and keep it. And there's this one tree off limits. And then he, the man and his wife are tempted. They've fall to the temptation. They eat the fruit. And now we have God coming to them, pursuing them, 
Um, he asks them some questions about what you do. They blame each other. They're hiding in shame. And now God is giving them some consequences. We've talked about the consequence for the serpent already. We've talked about the consequence for the woman. Today, we're going to focus in on the consequence for a man. And I thought it'd be appropriate to have a man <laughs> talk with us about this. You're not the first guy on the show. I'll have you know. So let's have you start by reading Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And then we'll get we'll get some thoughts from you on this. Okay. All right. Genesis 3.17. To Adam, he, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Okay, so what's surprising about this? You know, what makes this a good story? What stands out to me, it's actually, I'm not sure I saw it before, except recently I had a conversation with an older gentleman, his wife of 40-some years passed away. And this was about nine months ago. And I asked him how he's doing. And he said, um, it's been really hard. He said, the grief is over, but the grieving or the grieving process is over, but the grief stays with you. But then he said something interesting. He said, although he thinks grief is different for men and for women, because he said, woman was never alone, that mm. man was alone and knows what it's like more to be alone. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. I'm not sure about that. But then I thought, well, 1 Corinthians 11, 8, uh, God says the same thing to Paul, that um, the woman comes from the man. So it is it is true that there was a man, and a man was alone before there was a woman. And so with that in my back of my mind, when I read it now, it strikes me that the woman's cursings all have to do with her relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. So pain in childbearing pain in giving birth to a child, and then also her relationship with her husband. So the woman's effects of the fall are all in her relationships. The man's effects are more with inanimate objects, with with the world. The ground is cursed. There's thorns that will come out from it, and you will die. So basically, the world, the cosmos, the ground, and you will die. And I think um, that might point to the fact that, again, in general, Men tend to be less relational than women, but also not just in general, but a a fact, I think, in scripture is uh, male headship. So the woman's cursings affect her relationship with a uh, with a man who was here before her. The man's cursings affect the world for everyone else. So even you said it, it affects you as a woman. Right. So you said the weeds that you see. Um, that's there because of Adam's fall. Maybe not specifically Eve's fall, but Adam's fall as the head of the race brought destruction on creation itself. So now women also have to deal with the effects of what Adam did. Okay. Uh, Why do you think though that he brings up because you listen to the voice of your wife and have, have eaten the tree? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's not um, a sexist thing where don't listen to women. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the point was, you knew, like, I, 
we don't know it's from silence. We don't know what Eve knew firsthand from God, but we know that God told Adam firsthand, don't eat from the tree. So God says, um, I told you, so you knew, but you blew that off and listened to your wife. So Paul will say in first Timothy, Eve was deceived. Uh, and that's the difference, right? Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. He, he listened to Eve and he knew better. Wow. Okay. That, I mean, yeah. So she was created after, after God had given these instructions about the tree. And so we can deduce that Adam gave Eve the instructions about the tree. And so here, so yeah. he had heard directly from God and he's allowing her, I don't know, to persuade him maybe, but man. Yeah. His, his son was just high handed brazen. Hmm. Again, I'm not defending Eve at all because, but she was deceived. Um, Adam just brazenly disobeyed God. Okay. So like, sometimes I like to try and fill in the blank, you know, um, of how I might read this story if, if I didn't know it already. And so like when I read, because you listened and you ate cursed is fill in the blank. And I, you know, it's like, I don't, why is it the ground? You know, why is the ground cursed? Because Adam listened to his wife and ate. Well, there's a connection between Adam and the ground. The, the Hebrew word for ground is Adama, and the word for Adam is Adam. Right. <laughs> so, okay. so Adam means red dirt. So okay. there's a, a strong physical and a theological connection between Adam and the ground. So God put Adam here as in Eve as his image bearers, and they were meant to rule the world on his behalf. So as goes the head, so goes the body. So think um, if you're in Russia right now, you might be a nice, really good Russian, maybe a Christian Russian, and you don't want to be at war with Ukraine. But because Putin has led your country to be at war with Ukraine, if you're Russian, you're at war with Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So Adam, when he rebelled against God, he took the entire planet down with him. So wow. the world that he was meant to govern on God's behalf he brought cursing on that ground. So he was. He and Eve were supposed to, scholars are now saying that Genesis 2 sure looks like a cosmic temple. Eden is up high, it's facing east, there's water, a river coming out of it. So it looks, God came and walked in Eden. So Eden would be the holy of holies, and the rest of the earth would be the outer court. And the plan was for Adam and Eve and their children to reproduce and bring the knowledge of God to the entire creation. But instead of that, Adam and Eve rejected God, rebelled, and brought cursing upon the very earth they were supposed to bless. Mm. Wow, so much lost there, right? Mm -hmm. And what about all this, like, talk about the food? Like, why is that? It's like, you know, in pain, you shall eat of it, and thorns and thistles, and then you shall eat of the plants of plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Like what is all of this talk about eating and food? Is that just in correlation with the ground? Yeah. No, it's not until Noah that God gives them permission to eat animals. So right, right now they're eating plants, but yeah, it's um the ground is cursed. So you need to eat. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to eat, but now it's going to be a lot, a lot harder, a lot more difficult. The ground's not going to willingly yield its fruit for you as that connection between the ground and you, now you have to fight for it. And just think about the um, the horror that Adam's sin brought, not just on the ground, but also uh, the end of chapter three, when God, the end of this chapter, when God comes down and finds him in the garden 
Um, notice, quick aside, shame is not a bad thing in scripture. <laughs> Adam and Eve were ashamed, rightly so, and they made fig leaves. And God came down and didn't say, well, what is the shame you feel? This is bad. Don't ever feel shame. Now, God agreed with them and said, I'll make you better coverings to hide your shame. But to make those better coverings, this is this really hard if you have a soft spot in your heart for animals. God grabbed some animals that had always felt safe in his presence, had no reason to suspect anything else but comfort and safety and love. God grabbed them, slit their throats, skinned them, and made coverings for Adam and Eve. Just the, the carnage and the horror of what their sin unleashed on, on others, collateral damage. I know this is just an aside, but can you say more about this thing that shame is not bad? Um, I don't yeah, know if I so, understand that. Yeah. So it's uh, is that popular TED talk from Brene Brown Yeah, where she says guilt, she says guilt versus shame. Uh-huh. Shame, shame means is- I made a mistake. Guilt means I am. Shame means I am a mistake. Guilt means I made a mistake. Yeah. Though we're not a mistake. So we just make mistakes. Uh-huh. As a theologian, I say, well, those again, we shouldn't, you're leaving out a, a third option here. You, it's not just, oops, I made a mistake or so severe, I am a mistake. The Bible says um, we don't just make, make mistakes, we're sinners. We, we, we done wrong. So I'm not, I'm not a mistake, but I, if I have true guilt, I should have true shame. Mm-hmm. So here's the way I think about it. Think of creation, fall, redemption. No one, this is what Brene Brown's trying to get at. No one should ever feel creation shame. You should never feel ashamed of who you are. We're image of God. Our value is priceless. And no one should feel false shame. But for whatever we're guilty of, if it's true guilt, we should feel true shame. If I have done something horrible and I'm not ashamed of it, I'm a psychopath. Mm-hmm. So Jeremiah 3, um, a couple times God says, "You, <laughs> my Jewish people, you have a brazen look of a prostitute. You don't even feel shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says in Corinthians, I write this to shame you. So shame just means um, the humiliation that comes from guilt. So I think what we need to do with people is not say all shame is bad. We should say is let's distinguish between true shame and false shame. Mm-hmm. Someone has abused you and so you feel ashamed Again, this can take lots of therapy and counseling, but you should never, you should, you don't have to, and you must not feel shame for something that you're not guilty of, mm-hmm. not your fault. You didn't do anything. But if I have wounded somebody else and I'm truly guilty, I should feel ashamed. And here's the thing. If, if I, if we keep talking people out of shame and saying, oh, you, you should never, ever feel shame. If they should feel shame. Well, then we're really saying that's something you can't give to Jesus. Hmm. And so they're just, they have this rightful shame they know, but they're trying to say that they shouldn't feel that shame. Now they're just stuck in it. Mm -hmm. So it's much better to say false guilt, false shame, no. True guilt, true shame, own it. And now that you owned it, you can give it to Jesus. And clearly, I mean, Adam and Eve should feel shame. They have committed high treason, like they are on the side of God's enemy and they're cowering correctly. I don't know about the, the nakedness, why, why they had no shame and now they do. Well, they, they realize um, in an unfallen world that you're open, vulnerable, transparent, you have nothing to hide. Mm. 
but now you have a lot to hide. Okay. And uh, you, so again, I'm not saying that kind of shame where, um, well, I mean, we do want to encourage openness with, with each other, but even there, there's, there's limits, right? Well, and is it sort of in a sense that they're already recognizing the things that God is about to say to them? Like he's about to say, there's, there's, you are each other's enemies, right? You know, when he speaks mm-hmm. the curse over the woman, um, you know, you're going to have an enmity in your relationship and, and they're already feeling that, um, is that, would you say that's accurate? Yeah. So they're hiding from God, hiding from each other. Right. Right. And so here we have them, they're cursed. The ground is now cursed and they're going to toil. Um, and especially for Adam, like this is men, uh, really put a lot of emphasis on their work. At least my husband does. <laughs> his work is so important to him and to always and like, I mean, he, he does nothing with the ground, but his work is constantly <laughs> a struggle. You know, he's a data scientist, so it's just like technology. It's all, it seems like it's always stacked up against him. Um, and this is what is being, you know, the world has changed forms, right? It's, there's just something that's happening uh, as a result of this, this sin, any thoughts on like, what is changing form here? What is, what's working against them? Is this just like a new, new reality that God is speaking into existence? Yeah. Well, there's corruption. So like cancer or rust, um, things are now corrupted. So, yeah, I don't know that we like physics or biology. I don't think we know exactly exactly how the fall has affected our creational categories because we're we only we don't have access to it pre-fall we only know the world as in a fall we're living on the other side of an apocalypse mm. right a cataclysmic catastrophe has happened yeah. and we are living on the other side of it so how do you get back to but today there was that telescope that was trying to peer back i guess the first the best pictures ever what four billions of years they said um some beautiful pictures but they can't get back to before the fall Hmm. so even as beautiful as this world is it's a fallen world so maybe that's the takeaway when things are hard and things don't work when computer viruses or covid things corrupt us it's a reminder that um, our hope is not in ourselves or what we can do our hope is in jesus and still a fallen world is plenty good and plenty fun. And there's a lot of joy here, mm-hmm. but we need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and of course the death is also, you know, that's the, the last part of what God said to Adam, like, you're going to return to the ground. You were taken out of the dust and now you're going back there. Is this part of the curse or is this just, is, would this have happened if um, they had not eaten of the tree? No. Um, now, Adam and Eve were not born inherently immortal. We're human. We're finite. Only God is immortal. So Adam and Eve, there's nothing within them that would make them just live forever. Sure. But they did have access to the tree of life. And that access was taken away after. That's why they were not going to die. If they had not been excluded from the tree of life, God says, they would eat from that tree and live forever, but in rebellion, brokenness with him. So that's why in the end of the story in Revelation 21, 22, the tree of life comes back. Mm-hmm. Now we're restored to God through Christ. And so now it's safe for us to live forever. 
And, you know, since the fruit has different fruit each season, does that mean we're going to keep eating it? Like, do you think Adam and Eve ate the fruit before they were banished from the garden? Yeah. Okay. And probably it's, it's peaches. <laughs> you think it's peaches? <laughs> yeah. I've heard you say it like, better be. <laughs> I've heard you say like, peach, like imagine what peaches were like before yeah. the fall. They're so good now. Yeah. Right. So that'll be good. Yeah. So eating, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll still eat on the new earth. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus ate fish, right. In his resurrected body. Um, so the false narratives, what false narratives of the world does this story correct? I'll just throw a couple out there. Maybe like that. I won't die. You know, some people think death is good. It's like an escape. Mm-hmm. What, what false narratives of the world? Yeah. So that that's a big one that death is natural. That's what almost everyone says about death. Even terribly, even many Christians, even pastors will say things like death is natural, but it's clearly not. Um, death is not the way it's supposed to be. So um, this, this actually gives us hope because if death is a consequence of the fall and it's not the way it's supposed to be, then there's, there's hopefully a solution for it. But if death really is natural, if this is just the circle of life and the way things are, then nothing should be done about it and nothing can be done about it. Imagine how hopeless that would be mm. if death is just natural. Yeah, I think we in, intrinsically know that that's not, we should try to sustain life. Like, yeah. Don't we just naturally know that? Yeah. And yet somehow we hold that both are true. Yeah, and I think that's the Steve Jobs quote you're referring to. I think in my book on doubt, I mentioned uh, Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs, where Jobs said he noticed that Jobs never put an off switch on any of his iPhones mm. and said there's something there that he didn't, he was afraid of death mm. and didn't want to be able to turn it off. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, we all, I remember my mother in law. I mean, her quality of life was so low. She had cancer and, um, you know, you would just look at her life. She had lost her husband. There just didn't seem like a lot to live for. And yet she kept saying, I just want to make it till Christmas. And we were like, okay, you know, but there's something in us. We Death is just, we know that it's wrong, that it's not the way it's supposed to be. So with that in mind, with these um, words from God, You know, I mean, what did you say? This is a post-cataclysmic event Mm -hmm. Um, and everything is, it's, uh, everything is turmoil. Everything is working against us. The weeds grow, the flowers die. So with all of that in mind, how can we live like it's true that death wasn't what was intended for us? Hmm. I mean, that's important thing is living the Christian life, right? That's what corporate worship is on Sunday. We go and we we worship and we remember that Jesus must carry us. And what I keep emphasizing at my church is we just have to rest in Jesus. Just stop. Think about how, how because, because we know we will die apart from Christ returning, that should remind us that we don't create our own value. Right. Think of, I don't care what you accomplish. I don't, there's nothing you can, the the most famous celebrity, significant people, they're they're all dead. Mm -hmm. And so we should just know right off the bat that I cannot create my own value. Um, Meaning 
salvation can only come from resting in Jesus. So knowing that as we get older, we realize, I mean, I have, I, I don't recover as fast as I used to from jogging or playing pickleball. Now I went from tennis to pickleball because that's nice. what you when you get older. Yeah. You shorten uh, the court, right? <laughs> yeah. So you realize death is coming and, um, but that's why we, that's why Jesus. And so it's a reminder to rest in him and um, get over ourselves. Yeah. What about the toil? How do we live? Like it's true that toil, I don't know, wasn't what God originally intended. We're supposed to be working in union with creation, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. How do we, how do we like toil with hope? I guess what, what truth do we cling to? Well, that's first Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter, right? 58 verses on the resurrection. And the last verse is the application because of the resurrection be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Mm. Um, if you think about it, what makes any work that we do matter? It's not if it wins a prize. It's not if it gets its money. The only thing that matters, could ever matter, is if God rewards it. Right? Um, Ecclesia- I love Ecclesiastes because it's all this, everything's meaningless. Everything's meaningless. And then it ends with everything's meaningless and God will bring every hidden thing into judgment. I, oh, this could not be worse. Right. <laughs> and I get judged for it too. <laughs> Unless the judgment is what gives it meaning. If you turn in a paper for a professor and you get it back with an A plus and no, no marks at all, you feel cheated. You feel like, I don't even know if you read this. You just gave everyone the same grade. I don't even matter to you. So judging, judgment is hard, but judgment is love. Judgment says you matter. So, of course, if God judges us, we will all fail. That's why Jesus, we hide in Jesus in the judgment. But it's also true and gives us hope that in Jesus, whatever I do for him will get, it counts. It will get rewarded. Jesus said, even a cup of cold water given to one of the least of these mm-hmm. so the smallest act for the smallest kid that counts mm-hmm. i will reward it yeah. so you may not anyone listening you may not be a famous person you may, not, you may never make it to the platform of your church maybe no one knows who you are but you can do something for jesus and if you do it with all your might for him colossians three seventeen, he will reward that which means mm-hmm. it counts which means you count. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I just um, shared on the pre- or the parable of the talents, and mm-hmm. you know, just noticing that Jesus set it up so they had different amounts. They ha- they produced different amounts, and yet the two who invested what they had been given, they were both given. They were both rewarded. So our rewards, they're not tied to the results, but you know, they are. Like we do bring something that is sifted and that is measured. Uh, and yet, we, so I think, I think for me, what this conversation is leading to is just like, I want to put a lot of emphasis on that judgment on that, that day, um, that I'll stand before Jesus, but then also beyond like the hope that of, of that tree of life. Like we, we both uh, have a mutual friend, Chris Bruns, who always says, what does he say? We'll meet at the 
the third, I don't know, third tree on the right or something as you face the throne. There's some, so I, I should probably get my instructions uh, in order. I'm going to miss it. (laughs) But like, I think the point is like picturing that that is a reality and that we will gather, like we'll eat peaches (laughs) together, Mike in the kingdom. It'll be great. So, um, well, thank you so much for sharing and yeah, just pointing us to the truth that the curse is real, but um, what comes after is also real. Yeah, we have, we can afford to be honest about that because we have hope. Very good. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for joining me for this true story of the beginning series. I hope you'll take some time alone with God and with your Bible open to Genesis 1 through 3. Drink in the true story for yourself, this true story that you're in. Let it reframe your story with the truth. To help you work through this narrative, I've put some tools together for you in my free Live Like It's True workbook. The workbook is particularly designed to help you work through the narratives or the stories in the Bible. It'll help you sort through how the true story of Genesis 1 through 3 refutes the false narratives in the world. You can find a link for your free workbook in the show notes, along with links to some of the various other resources we've been mentioning and recommending. Many of these resources are actually written by our guests in this season, including Nancy Guthrie, Mary Cassian, Courtney Doctor, and more. Are you enjoying this podcast? If so, would you be willing to rate and review? This helps us widen our reach and helps us to serve others as they're able to find the show. Also, if you have questions or ideas for me, I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much to my producer, Maria Lyons, and my son, Cade Popkin, for providing all of the music that you hear here on the show. And thanks most of all to you for tuning in. It is my joy and privilege to serve you. And now it's time to go live like it's true.